Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to episode 115 of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from Hong Kong, our first ever international podcast here from the OpenStack Summit. Um, we're here today with Kenneth Hoy from Rackspace, a returning guest and now promoted to co-host. How are you? Good. How are you guys doing? And we today we have uh, Ken Pebble. And Ken, you are founder, CTO, Selenia, correct? Yes. Yes. And how are you doing, sir? Uh, everything is good. Hong <laughs> Kong is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so, first of all, I have to ask you guys, when, when did you all get in? Uh, we got in Sunday night. Okay. Uh, so we've had a day or two to act late. So, so you're over the jet lag Absolutely. and everything. How, how we work in Asia a lot, so right. we're kind of pros at this. I got in Sunday night as well, so okay. yesterday was rough, but today I'm doing okay. Power okay. Through. So I got in last night. I feel like shit. <laughs> so now i got to put the explicit tag on this, but man, I feel like shit. So, <laughs> so um, first of all, Ken, um, You've been involved with OpenStack for, for quite a while, and you know you're you've given been given credit with you know the guy who does the uh, the, the architecture drawings, um, which have since moved from your blog over to the Selenia blog. And give us a little bit about your background and uh, how you got involved in all of this. Sure. Uh, so I worked for a long time uh, for Sun Microsystems um, as a, an architect in a lot of kind of the early days of kind of larger systems uh, that had a lot of the virtualization features that you say on x86 today. But even back in you know the late mid-90s and things, we were able to do virtualization and within a box do things like you might see today in, in, a, in a cloud. And so it was a natural progression as virtualization came along and certainly as uh, the cloud came out to kind of move over into that area and, and get into that. But really it was, uh, you know, I had seen the OpenStack come out and be formed. I was in a cloud strategy group with another large vendor uh, at the time, and it was pretty clear they weren't going to embrace this. And when I looked at it, it was really the architecture that I saw that was going to win. And so I wanted to go do that. Uh, so left there and, and got off in the bear time frame and started writing stuff for OpenStack. So yeah, old school. Uh, well, not old school like everyone, but bear, I, you know, B. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah, yeah. that's respectable. Um, so one of the big things that kind of pops out uh, in your background is you've done a lot of work in, in Europe and Asia, and, and Selenia really, you know, could I say it's like a cloud integrator? So we do both software and services. Mm-hmm. Um, we tend to do the full gamut of services, though. So unlike some of the more traditional kind of integrators or body shop, we help people actually do conceive phase or strategy. And what we found out there is a lot of people that are looking to move to a private cloud or even the public cloud, they want to take advantage of that. But because of the policies and the organization and the technical abilities they have, they're really not there yet. And so they need some help about how do I get a strategy together so I could go take advantage of this public or private cloud? What are all the things I need to do? What benefits would I see from that so I can actually talk to my management about it? So a lot of that starts out in the conceive area, and we do a lot of work both with service providers and enterprises on that. And then it runs through all of the normal kind of things where you know, you'd know you help them with architecture, 
there's a large amount of integration that you need for an OpenStack cloud, especially in the enterprise. Um, and then, you know, the most critical thing is the adoption side. I, I've seen a lot of people put clouds together with the kind of a field of dreams strategy, which is I will build it and they will come. And in, in general, people didn't. Um, and so you really, we help a lot of people with, you've got a cloud now, how do I get workloads onto that? How do I get real value out of that? And, and how is the, the European or Asian markets different from, say, some of, the, some of those that yeah. people are used to in the United States? Like, customer requirements different, you know, perception of OpenStack in general. Tell me a little bit about that. So I think it varies a bit. Uh, we've done most of our work here in Asia, and you kind of see both sides of the coin here in Asia, which is a lot of customers out here probably don't have as much legacy as you see in the U.S. of legacy environments. They're also much more enthusiastic because, in general, a lot of Asia is growing faster than perhaps you are a Europe in the U.S. So you see a whole bunch of enthusiasm and willingness to take risks on it. On the other hand, they probably a lot of companies here don't have the background in IT, perhaps, um, to take in things like open source and some of these new technologies as well. And so there's a bit of a steeper learning curve, but there's much more eagerness to kind of break the mold here. And so we've seen a huge amount of adoption here, especially in North Asia, but I've started to see Southern Asia and India come along fairly strongly. But you know, between China, Korea, and Japan, they've led a lot of the OpenStack. Uh, regularly when I talk in Korea, there'll be 200 people there just for a, a normal meetup in Seoul. Uh, they have a very active community wow. there. Wow. And so, so I'm going to flip it over to Kenneth. <laughs> it's Ken <hard> to, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and how is that different from the customers you're seeing? Because you, you know, you primarily deal northeastern United States yeah, kind of thing, right? right so right. compare and contrast that, right? Well, I think um, obviously, in contrast to what, what Ken was saying, there's obviously a lot more legacy. So one of the things I actually, one of the things I see, particularly in the financial space is a lot of customers who go, I, now I'm looking at this kind of open source, open stack thing, but I've got all this VMware stuff that i got to live with, or bare metal. And it's, I think it's a lot harder to make that transition um, over to uh, an open source type of cloud platform. So, so Ken, as a you know, cloud integrator, systems integrator, um, do you have a fixed, you know, kind of quote-unquote distro that, that you guys use, or, or do you integrate various different distros? And, and tell me a little bit about some of the customer solutions you've seen so far. And so it'll differ on your segments as well as the customer. You know, on a service provider, you're probably much more likely um, to move to a different distro or roll your own, perhaps because you want to be able to write your own features. Uh, and that was very much what we d had done at InterNAP and things like SoftLayer had done, the way to differentiate your services. Whereas in the enterprise, that's a totally different thing. You're all about getting support and right. things like that. Um, so I think it depends on the customers there. We're pretty much agnostic on distros. Um, I think there's a lot of distros out there today. There's many good distros out there. I don't think the market is consolidated at all. You're seeing, you know, there are new distros coming out still, which <laughs> I did not anticipate still coming out. Right. And so I think there's still a lot of room there for people to have different distros and for people to actually differentiate on those. Mm -hmm. I think over time, obviously that will consolidate, but I think it's probably a little further out than I anticipated. It's, it might be 12 to 18 months out before we start seeing that consolidation sure. there. 
And today, there are real differences between the distros right. on a functional and a qualitative basis that you need to, you know, really match up. The best distro for one person is not necessarily the best distro for another person. And, and we really try to spend some time to make sure that they get the right one. And what would be, like, give me a for instance on something like that. Like, what's a what's a distro that's out there that you think is, is maybe a leading one or, or a leading couple? Well, so I think there's, there's different segments of that market. I think when you look at the enterprise today, and if you're kind of an old line, Fortune 1000 company, um, I think a lot of people are looking to their traditional vendors or even somewhat non-traditional vendors, but they tend to look for a Red Hat, a Canonical, or someone like that. And I think you know it's undeniable the amount of momentum and code contributions Red Hat has poured in over the last 12 months that they've been here. And I see good things coming out of them. Um, and I think it's a lot of enterprises fairly comfortable because they've already standardized on RHEL. They know what that support arrangement's like. They know how to work with them. They're already on the support list. I think they're going to do very well out of that distro area. Not to put down Mr. Shuttleworth and Canonical's <laughs> right. achievements there. I'm just saying, you know, if you go to enterprises today, RHEL's on their, right. their support list. It's an easy transition for them a lot of times. Okay. I think it's different if you move over into the SaaS, like your SaaS provider today. Yep. And I've been surprised the number of people that are repa repatriating large workloads out of AWS back into their own private cloud. Right. And I think you look at that, that's a different, it's a different use case, it's a different distro. And I think cloud scaling has done some great work there yep. about stressing compatibility, perhaps a little too much on the API part, but, <laughs> right. but also building something that really looks at that SaaS marketplace there. And then you go to service provider, and I think the service provider market right now is still up for grabs. A lot of key things that you gotta have to be a service provider, and I know the pain of this, aren't provided by any of the, any of the distros today. Like, right. I need rock solid billing, not to put down Salometer, but I need it to go all the way out to my billing engine. Yeah. It yeah. can't be just metering, I need rating, billing, yeah. all of that stuff together, right. and an integration there. I need, you know, special things like at Rack, Rackspace, you would know, you know, when you run a public cloud, there are FBI laws about pulling down pirated materials and things like that. Sure. You need specialized tools to be able to do that. There's a lot of real specialized things for a service provider, and I don't think necessarily any of the distros are doing that today. Although Rack, or sorry, uh, Stack Ops is looking to do that, and I'm interested to see what they brought to the, the convention. So, cool. so, so Ken, one of the things I've noticed, all the all the vendors that have distros out or supporting open in some ways, they then have two different distros. They have one that's upstream trunk, you know, all the wells and whistles, and they've got one more of a smaller subset that they say this is the supported configuration, distro configuration. Right. Um, what, at Selenia, what, what do you guys tend to, do you try to go with upstream trunk or do you tend to go with, a, or what do we call it, opinionated install or open set? So I think it depends on, again, which, which one of those three markets you're looking okay. for. Um, in the enterprise, the very opinionated ones where it goes, the opinion goes all the way down to what hardware it's certified on, right. That's really difficult to do with an enterprise. They've already got two vendors for hardware. Right. They're not going to change their vendors just for the cloud, you know. Right. So, I think that's a really difficult sell to them. And I think just cognitively, it's difficult to sell. I'm giving you open source software, but I'm making you buy proprietary hardware. Mm -hmm. That's a strange sales message to me. I think. Mm -hmm. um, so I like the more general ones where you know OpenStack is software. Um, 
there are best ways to do it with the reference architecture, right. and you should do that. But on the other hand, if there's some compelling reason that you have to use some certain switch or some certain hardware, it still works and is supported, that's great. What I'd rather see is a bit tighter support matrix around some of the software options. Right. Today, one of the big holes we have is more people need to be able to support ESX um, along with other hypervisors in the same cloud. Yeah. There's too many legacy things on ESX today that, yes, I want to get off. Many of my customers tell me I want to be off of ESX for at least some of my workloads, right. but I'm not going to have that managed totally separately. I need to bring that under my OpenStack cloud and you know have host aggregates of ESX or an availability sure. zone of AES and maybe a lower tier host right. hypervisor. It's very difficult to find some of the distros that will accommodate both. Right. Well, and so that's interesting. So when it comes to the customers you're seeing today, so, so OpenStack in general, do you see them consuming all of OpenStack or maybe only a subset of the projects or... or you know, what is the most common deployments I you're seeing? I think you see two sets. Mm -hmm. um, there is a very strong and a multitude of use cases for just Swift. Right. Uh, and I'm, or Ceph would probably be there, but just Object Store. Yes. And Object Store kind of sits on its own. And some people who will never do cloud, really, even, they just see Swift as a storage product. Right. Right. And I think it's done wonderful for that. And the Swift stack guys have done great stuff over there. Mm -hmm. Um, for that. So I see that as a separate play. Otherwise, people tend to do the full boat. Yeah. Um, either, you know, Grizzly version without Salometer and Heat and things, or they want, they've want they actually waited for Folsom specifically for Heat. Oh, I've seen okay. a lot of just waiting for Heat. Okay. Right. But they tend to do all of it once they do that. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, occasionally then they'll do both of those, but those are the two chunks I see that yeah. people do. Well, I see. I think, I think kind of like you said, I think the Swift is almost... A separate entity of its own, and part of that is not only because you can use it outside OpenStack. The reality is a lot of the, a lot of the shops that, a lot of small businesses are kind of going to OpenStack. And when you look at the uh, entry costs of a Swift deployment, it's not insignificant. So sometimes you're often a fairly good sized Swift deployment would be bigger than your entire OpenStack uh, install yeah. about it. So and. and what I've also seen the problem there is for people that do not write their own applications, right. they have a problem consuming object storage or Swift right. because right now most of your off-the-shelf software does not talk OpenStack Swift right. API. And there are not a lot of, not that there aren't any, but there are not a lot of general purpose gateway products that would right. translate that to NFS or SIPs for you, which they could consume easily. Right. Um, so I think that's a little, especially in the SMB market where they don't write their own software in yeah. general, it's a tough sell for them sure. on that. Sure, sure. Now, so you've been both operator and integrator, so you can certainly see both sides of, of everything. Um, where do you where do you think OpenStack still has some rough edges and still needs a lot of work, and what are kind of the the problem scenarios for you both trying to you know get it in as an integrator or you know consume it as an operator yeah so you know there was i always told people uh, when i ran my own public cloud there are two things that always kept me up at night one of them was block storage 
mainly because people data was on it and should you lose that people get mad when you lose your data <laughs> and the other one tended to be networking which is if your network went somehow bad it affected your entire cloud so those are the two things that's always kept me up at night i think we've done great strides to address the block storage yes. and i think there's been great work there and cinder well cinder as well as all the vendors behind it great stuff there i think networking has been a little more difficult because a, we've tried to do cloud networking, and then we've put a lot of SDN features into it, and right. there's just a lot of work that goes on there. Mm -hmm. And in general, people move slower on the network side because of that large failure domain there. And I think that you know today we still need to do more work on that to really get really solid cloud networking uh, into Neutron and such, and hopefully also then simplify it. So I think that's a an area of improvement that we need. Having said that, that's really across all the other cloud. I mean, you can go to CloudStack, you can go to vCloud. That is a problem across across cloud. Um, I think also though, tools to actually operate your cloud. There are not a lot of them. There are a lot of great tools to install your cloud, which you know in general it takes you a week to install your cloud. You do that once ever. Yeah, you right. may roll in some new racks here and there, but like a lot of enterprises, they have yearly budgets. They're gonna they're gonna roll in one things once a year. Yeah. So installation, which seems to be a high priority for a lot of companies out there, I don't see as that big of a deal. I'm much more concerned about running it the entire year. Sure. And one of the problems is it's a large, very large, very distributed, lot of points of failure, which you can take into account, but once you have a problem, it's really hard to figure out where that problem is sometimes. So visibility and monitoring operational tools, yeah. I'd love to see us come further on with that. I don't know if that's an OpenStack project problem, though. I see that as an ecosystem that right. someone needs to go out and address, and I think people will over time. Yeah. It's not It's not sexy to start the operations company. It's, it's not. It's sexy right. to start the install company. It, I mean, <laughs> you don't see Mr. Shuttleworth you know, doing uh, root cause analysis on stage. Right, right. He, he does an install in five minutes, right? right? Yeah, exactly. I was about to kind of piggyback on that. I think the other thing that's missing, it's actually really good documentation from an operational perspective, right? Mm -hmm. I think the docs tend to be written by developers. They are. And, and they're right, so they're written as though you're coding this thing. And the infrastructure guy goes, actually, I don't really want to code anything in OpenStack. I just want to figure out how to, how to upgrade <laughs> and sure. do patches. Yeah, and I think one of the things I think a lot of people look at is, well, the code's right there. Just go read the code. Right. And in general, if it comes from an ops background, that's not how things work. Right. Um, and I think, you know, I've always been, I was attracted to OpenStack because I could just go read the code. Right. And you could see how it laid bare and everything. But a lot of people don't want to do that and then right. don't have time to do that. Probably shouldn't do that, right? right? So I agree. I think we've done really good on the initial setup. And Ann Gentle, of course, led some great stuff there. Yep. And I think we've done good on the API stuff. I think we probably need to have more on the ongoing operations. Sure. And that's not something you can get from developers or people who are traditionally contributing to the project. Right. It's going to be people that have been in data centers running it for a year or two. Yeah. And we probably need to do a better effort right. of getting So maybe it's like a maturity thing. It might be. I think it's also an outreach thing. We need right. to go find these people who have been running it and, and kind of ask them because right. they're not you know, regularly in there contributing code. Right. Well, and, and so if I use the term you know, auxiliary systems, right? So, so along that same line, what are some of the auxiliary systems that you have to provide today, right, from that operation standpoint to your customers? Is there, 
is there things architecturally in OpenStack that you just kind of have to, you know, the whole bubble gum and chicken wire, right, to stand it up and operate it after day day one, day zero kind of thing? Yeah, so I mean, I see a lot of today, and we do a lot of integration into your existing tool set. You know, you've got ServiceNow or you've got some kind of double ticketing system, you've got some kind of monitoring system out there, you've got all of your normal ITIL things. Um, some of those things you can integrate in fairly easily. Uh, treble tickets. Some of them are really difficult because you really need to monitor like three layers. There's that bare metal, which is difficult to get to. There's the OpenStack layer, which includes the hypervisor. Mm-hmm. And then there's above OpenStack in kind of where the end user tenant space is. No tool really brings you all three of those spaces mm-hmm. together. You can get three tools that will show you each one of them. The problem is when you have an issue, you then have to follow the maze through the three tools all the right. way down into the rabbit hole and back, hopefully. Right. And, and that's difficult. And part of that is, you know, Nova has like 750 options. Right. So even if you wrote a tool, you would have to somehow get all of those options in, you know, to do all seven hypervisors on, you know, right. and it's a very difficult problem. Yeah, I completely understand that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we're probably out of time for this week. Or really, actually, we're going to have a lot of them, so this cast. <laughs> um, so, so, Ken, where can everyone find out a little bit more about you and, and the company and what you got going on? Sure. Uh, if you go to selenia.com, which is S-O-L-I-N-E-A.com, uh, is our new website that we actually just launched uh, in the last week. It actually oh, looks very pretty now. Just in time for the show? <laughs> just in time for the show. <laughs> so you can always come there if you're not in, in Hong Kong. Uh, otherwise, if you're here at the show, uh, we have a booth at C50 that you can come over. We're actually hosting a few of our uh, partners and things. So Salt Stack will be here doing demos on Wednesday, on Thursday morning. Oh, cool. And we've got some other things going on. And then, obviously, we're based in San Francisco. So if you're ever in South Park, uh, we're around there, too. Awesome. Very, Very cool. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So if you like the show, please tell a friend or leave us a review on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at thecloudcastnet are on the web at thecloudcast.net where you can find links to everything Cloudcast. Thanks for listening.